Welcome to the Dive Podcast, presented by Willamette Week, where every Saturday we discuss the biggest news stories of the week with Portland's noisiest newsmakers, savviest culturistas, and some of the best journalists in the game. I'm your host, Brianna Wheeler, and I want to hear from you. So send your questions and comments to me, bwheeler at wweek.com. All right, y'all, enjoy the show. If you've lived in Portland long enough, you probably have some manner of relationship with the Taft Hotel, a low-income assisted living senior home in southwest Portland. It's conspicuously set on the iconic Crystal Ballroom block, a four-story brick-red building plainly visible from the 405, where it heralds the exit that leads to Powell's, the Crystal Ballroom, everyday music, and all the glossy storefronts of the Pearl District. If you're anything like me, then maybe after a sweaty show at the ballroom, you bummed a light from a bench-bound resident while they smoked curbside. Or maybe a cluster of elders laughingly barked instructions at you while you tried to parallel park in front of the ground floor restaurant of the building. Almost assuredly, you've at the very least seen the corner-facing entryway of the Taft home. And even if it didn't register as a critical piece of Portland property, it has undeniably been a brick-red thread in the tapestry of this city for as long or longer than a lot of us have lived here. So why then? At a time in Portland history when chronic houselessness is unraveling that tapestry, did the city allow the Taft home to not only evict or ham-fistedly attempt to rehome over 70 elderly, high-risk, low-income tenants, then allow the home to sit empty while some displaced, elderly residents camped in the empty plot of land across the street? Anyway, What are you mad about today? It's Saturday, July 30th, and this is episode 82 of The Dive. On this week's episode, Sophie Peel and I will unpack her cover piece, The Mystery of the Taft Home, and discuss what went so horribly wrong at the Taft, the city's response, or lack thereof, and the effects the whole affair had on both employees of the senior living facility and the senior residents themselves. I'll chat with Sophie in just a sec, but first, here are a few things I learned from this week's edition of Willamette Week. Anthony Effinger reports that Portland could be the first U.S. city to outlaw diesel fuel sales. But chill, young trucker. The proposal intends to replace petroleum-based diesel with renewable diesel made from waste. I did not know that such fuel existed, and honestly, this is so on brand for Portland, I, I love this for us. Last week... Mayor Wheeler declared a state of emergency addressing gun violence, but Lucas Manfield reports that area dispensaries, perennial targets since they are cash-only businesses, have already suffered too much, and they lack the energy and the funds to secure their businesses against the consistent fear of armed robbery. And finally, many flowers for the legendary WW journalists who won awards at last week's Association of Alternative News Media Honors. Rachel Monahan for her vaccine coverage, Anthony Effinger for healthcare reporting, and Tess Risky for long forum news. Congratulations, team. Now let's chat with Sophie Peel about her cover piece, The Mystery of the Taft House. What on this good green earth is happening with the Taft Hotel? 
Well, um, where to start? So for, for 70 years, that was a, um, you know, it, it's, it's a hotel, um, but for the past 70 years, it's been a residential home for low-income seniors. Um, and the seniors who were living there up until last December, you know, either ma- the majority of them were on Medicaid, um, and uh, they either had a, a physical or mental disability. Some of them had, you know, mental illnesses as well. A portion of them had addiction too. Mm. So they're old, they're low income, they're oftentimes unhealthy. Sometimes they have like, you know, severe PTSD or trauma or other mental illnesses. So, you know, just a really a, a tough population to house in the first place and, and to keep housed. Um, and, and a portion of them, too, had had experience, you know, with homelessness or had been incarcerated, too. So, again, just a very vulnerable population. And the Taft home is, you know, was one of six places in in Portland and in Gresham that can sort of take these residents with with such high needs which is just so it's such a paltry number yeah um i was sort of amazed to to learn that there weren't more facilities that were sort of um you know equipped to care for these types of people so anyways it after a series of state investigations last year that found you know instances of neglect and abuse and just really subpar care for these people um and i could go into the violations because some of them are just sort of astounding but um you know, they, the, how Department of Human Services works is they work as more, they've sort of had this shift in the past five or 10 years where now they're more of like an, uh, they're still a regulatory body, but they sort of act as more educators. And so they give people chances to, you know, remediate those issues and stay open. So, you know, they put a condition on the Taft Homes license and basically said, you've got to fix these issues. And until you do, you can't accept any more residents. Um, instead of fixing those issues, the uh, operator, which was a private company called Concepts in Community Living, they decided to shut it down. And at the time, you know, they told us that they just they couldn't make the finances work. There were too many repairs to be done. You know, the state was asking essentially too, too much of them. And so they, de- they decided to bow out. Um, the owners of, of that building, which is Reach CDC, which is one of the biggest uh, affordable housing developers in the city, they did not look for another operator. So they closed their doors on December 1st, and it's just been sitting there for, for the past eight months oh unoccupied. That's so rough. Um, in your reporting, what stood out as the primary causes that the property became so unmanageable? I think there's a lot of um, overlapping things here. I think one, these types of facilities, Medicaid reimbursement is is really poor. Mm. So, you know, um, operators of these places are getting by on really a shoestring margin. A lot of times what operators of these types of facilities will do is they is they reserve a portion of beds for private pay residents mm-hmm. to sort of like almost subsidize the cost of just the really poor Medicaid reimbursement. And um, according to DHS, you know, this facility did have a number of, of private pay residents, but most of it was based on Medicaid. So already that's a little bit of a recipe for disaster. Yeah. I think the other thing too is that... Um, you know, conditions worsened over the past couple of years in that building, according to, you know, former employees and residents that I spoke to. I think the reasons for that aren't, um, you know, I I can't say for sure. I think one of it was, you know, pandemic made, um, you know, workforce staffing in care homes is already just a really, really hard industry Mm -hmm. and no one wants to work in it. The pay is bad. It's just a system set up to fail. So I think, one, the pandemic even further stressed that workforce shortage. 
I think, too, because of that workforce shortage, it sounds like, you know, more residents were sort of acting out without, you know, necessarily having oversight. There were there was more open drug use and, you know, drinking. And um, again, I think the care there was really subpar. And, and because of that, and because these people just had so many, you know, kind of overlapping issues, it just really exacerbated the situation. Um and then, you know, the, obviously the state monitors these places. And if there's a complaint that's filed, they go in and look. And, you know, if you look for one thing, it kind of opens up Pandora's box of sure. everything else you can find. And they they found a lot. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't remember what your question was. Oh, um, <laughs> like, well, you're talking about, like, I wanted to, I was wondering what were all of the reasons that made oh, yeah, the task right. spiral out of control? Yeah, I think that one other thing I'll mention, too, just in talking to housing experts is that, you know, a lot of times uh, municipalities, so the city of Portland gave, um, reached the owner of the building, uh, some pretty big loans, you know, eight, in the 80s and 90s to sort of renovate the building and, and keep it kind of up to date. And, but I think a lot of times with, with these upfront investments that we make is we give, you know, the owner the developer a lot of money and then we just sort of let it go. We're mm-hmm. like, all right, here's the upfront money instead of investing continuously, continuously mm-hmm. in it. So, um, I, th- I think that was an issue too. You know, the Portland Housing Bureau has has a lot of say over what happens with this building, and that's because they're in a binding agreement with with the building's owner because of those two loans that the city gave them. You know, twenty thirty years ago. So Reach has to keep those units as single room occupancy, low income units until twenty twenty eight. If they want to sell the building, they have to get the city's permission. If they want to repurpose the building, they have to get the city's permission. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think it's it's sort of a dual, res- I don't know, a tri-responsibility between Concepts and Community Living, which was operating the facility and just really let it go downhill. Reach CDC, which in effect is, is the landlord. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know if they were aware of what was going on in the building. That was a little murky. And then the city too, you know, which also has a lot of say over what happens with this building. So I think it was, it was just a lot of, I I don't know, almost like abandoning of, you know, something that they all had a stake in. Mm -hmm. So the city has a lot of say, but you reached out to Dan Ryan's office and it, it looked like they were just ducking and dodging you. Why doesn't the city step in, uh, and try to restore the property? After reading it, I understand that the property isn't, like, in such disrepair that it's unlivable. Yeah, I think that's one of the, I don't know, I guess it's not a mystery. I think it's, um, and it, I think it's more of an excuse. I mean, I think the the building in itself, it's not in great shape. Mm. You know, like, it is dirty, and there are cockroaches, and there's grime, and there's broken floorboards. But it's not in such structural disrepair that the ceiling is in imminent danger of collapsing on residents. Like it's not the building structure that was putting these, um, you know, these residents in imminent danger. Cause the state came in and said, we think these people are in imminent danger, but it was because they weren't getting their meds on time. Yeah. It's because they weren't getting the care they needed. It's not because they were, you know, they were falling downstairs because they didn't have caretakers with them. It's not because the ceiling was crumbling on them. So, you know, the city and REACH both kind of said, we want to make sure it's safe for, for residents, X, Y, Z. And it's like, well, you, you had the chance to make it safe by residents, by safe for residents by getting a different operator and, you know, having closer oversight over what was happening in that building. Because it wasn't a problem of the roof falling in. Yeah. You know, it was a problem of subpar care. So 
I think that is sort of their reason for, you know, but, and, and again, I think what really points to this irony is that the state didn't shut this place down. Yeah. If, if the, if the operator would have kept going, it probably would be open today. So when the city and reach say, you know, it's in structural disrepair or, you know, there are just too many capital needs. We don't want people to be unsafe in there. It's like, well, that's, you know, in hindsight, sure. But it would probably still be open today if that operator hadn't bet out. So I guess I don't put that much stock into that argument. Hmm. Yeah. So Reach CDC owns it. CCL, community, uh, Concepts and Community Living, leases it. PHB has a say in what happens. Who are the former residents or even concerned citizens who can we hold accountable for this like massive failure? I think you can sort of pick your target a yeah. little bit on this one. I mean, it's sort of like rungs of a ladder, you know, I think concepts in community living for whatever reason did a really dismal job of, of taking care of these people. And I think that's, that's the first step, but you know, then there are other factors where it's like really poor Medicaid reimbursement that in itself is a, is a broken system where, if you are operating on such shoestring margins, there there are going to be more instances of neglect. You are going to have, you know, a workforce shortage. So, you know, that's one part of it. So I think you could even go as far as saying like Medicaid reimbursement and, and how that works, you know, in the state and federally too is is kind of the root, sort of the root of the problem. I think then you look at REACH, which is, you know, as you said, the owner of the building and they can say they weren't privy to what was going on. But, you know, if you're a landlord, and you have a really bad tenant, especially when you have 80 people or 70 people under the purview of that poor tenant, you'd think you would step in at some point. Yeah. And then the city too, again, they have, you know, they invested a lot of money up front into this Taft building and, and to just let it sort of descend into like whatever it became and, you know, displace 70 people. I mean, you've kind of got to like hold their feet to the fire too and say, hey, this is, and, and to me, it just feels like, you know, if you place it in the rhetoric of political speech these days in Portland, every elected official says consistently, we are doing everything we can to keep people housed and house people. And it's like the Taft home seems like low hanging fruit. Yeah. That was an opportunity to keep 70 people in, in that building, um, which is a lot easier than housing people. Yeah. It's cheaper to keep people housed than it is to house people. <clears throat> Um, not saying all these residents became homeless because that's not what happened. I know of you know three that became homeless, and I don't I don't know how many else there are. But um, so I don't know. I think it's a whole like kind of crisscrossing hodgepodge of people that need to be held accountable for this. Mm. Oh, oof. Um, over the course of the reporting, did you ever get the feeling that? Reach was um, just kind of waiting out the end of the lease with um, CCL so that they can gentrify the building? That's not my instinct, actually. Um, I think from talking to people who were involved with Reach, you know, 20, 30 years ago, I think the Taft building was always a, a poor real estate investment for them. Um, and, and partly that's because, you know, they reach has no, like most of their projects, I don't know if any of their other projects are assisted living facilities. They have a lot of low Mm -hmm. income, you know, elderly, but they're independent. So to have this model of again, really high needs residents, I think was 
really far out of Reach's wheelhouse. And, and, you know, talking to people who were involved 30 years ago, they were sort of baffled by the fact that Reach ever invested in that building and purchased that building. So I think at this point, it's not so much, I, I don't think they're like, you know, kind of conniving and, and trying to turn this into market rate, because that's not what Reach does. I mean, if Reach would want to do market rate housing, they wouldn't, they'd, they'd sell it. Yeah, I think it is, has been a financial albatross for them. It is an older building. It is going to keep getting worse. And mm-hmm. I think it's one of those things where it was like, it was just, it was more of a hindrance to their portfolio probably every year. Mm. So I think they are, I, I think reaches in a financial bind. I don't think that excuses anything. But, you know, I don't think this is some plan to like let it die and then, you know, turn it into something else. I think it is a, I think it's a financial albatross and they just don't really know what to do at this point. Do you think that um, the, the lease is over in 2028? 2020 yeah so that's when they pay off their last loan is 2028 so i believe and i'd have to double check this but i believe at that point they're you know they're no longer uh kind of under the thumb of the portland housing bureau so those no longer have to be restricted units Mm -hmm. so i think but you know again i don't know that that's that's an uh, that's an additional six years yeah so that they have to keep it as you know either low-income residential housing or the housing bureau says all right you can sell it all right you can repurpose it so i i don't know what's gonna i really don't know what's gonna happen i couldn't i don't think i could even like take a you know take a gander at it yeah that was the, the first thing i thought reading that little chunk of the article knowing that the lease ends here that it's sitting empty that i mean the location the potential for the location alone thinking from like a developer standpoint I thought, mm-hmm. oh, they're probably just going to sell it. They're probably just mm-hmm. waiting to sell it. And then hearing that it's a financial albatross, et cetera, that just kind of reinforces yeah. that idea in my mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, so unfortunate. Blah. What was left out of the piece? So much. Um, I think there's, um, in stories like this and in talking to people, you know, there's always like very little human moments that you hear about that happened at the Taft and you know there was a lot of bad things that happened at the Taft and then there were also just like little moments of joy I think and um you know in talking to former staffers the the four former ones that I spoke to I mean they like they loved these residents they really did and they acknowledged how difficult they were there was one former staffer um who was just so sassy and she, and she was like did they drive me up the wall like yes but you know I also loved them and and she was like if I could go through a rocks at that place I would but I'm 52 and I don't want to go to jail you know like just so very very dedicated to these people despite them having a lot of over overlapping issues and oftentimes you know taking out those issues on on staffers um I think also talking to residents there, there's one guy who's now living I think it's in Redmond Oregon his name is you know Darwin Davis and He's 71. And, you know, I talked to some former residents who were like, that's the worst place I've ever been, X, Y, Z. And he was like, it's the most perfect place I've ever been in. You know, I was in, in talking again to housing experts. I don't remember who it was who told me this, but she said she used to, it was, it's a PSU professor. And she said she used to take her students to the Taft home and then to the most expensive, you know, assisted living place in downtown Portland and then sort of like a middle income. And, she, and it was like a lesson in, you know, people can afford different things and people can be happy with different things. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and like it was a lesson in class almost yeah. you know it's like all three of these facilities are within a one mile radius of each other and they are extremely different environments extremely different care levels um so i don't just yeah a couple different nuggets like that that sort of kind of take you back out you know zoom you back in um yeah i think it's just i think it's easy when you hear about a building like that to you know is so much life happened there and every single day And thank you for joining me. I hope you'll join me again next week. Until then, bye.